China's growing economic muscle is challenging the United States' grip on the Asia-Pacific region and what could become the centre stage of a new global power struggle. This Radio New Zealand Insight programme looks at how New Zealand can balance its growing economic dependence on China with Washington's renewed need for allies in the region. For most of the time since European settlement, New Zealand has relied on Anglo-Saxon powers for protection from external threats. Firstly from Britain, from perceived threats from Russia in the late 19th century, and America from the very real threat from Imperial Japan half a century later. Uncle Sam extended his nuclear umbrella over God's own until 1984, when a fallout over ship visits resulted in New Zealand being turfed out of the Western Alliance. But now, in the early 21st century, relations between New Zealand and the United States are thawing. I've got to say I read that very much as a reflection of America's desire to pull New Zealand back into the American camp as America tries to build and consolidate uh, a group of countries, including New Zealand, to join it and support it in its growing containment strategy against China. So, you know, the good news for New Zealand is that the United States wants you back. The bad news is they want you back to muscle up against China. Hugh White was a defence advisor to the Australian Prime Minister Bob Hawke in the 1980s. He says New Zealand, like Australia, faces difficult choices between the region's two competing superpowers. I'm Nigel Sterling, and in this insight, I look into whether New Zealand is already taking sides in this global arm wrestle and consider what are the risks if it does have to choose. Members of Congress... I have the high privilege and the distinct honor of presenting to you the President of the United States. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Vice President, members of Congress, distinguished guests, and fellow Americans. In last month's State of the Union address, the United States President Barack Obama, as has become custom of late for US politicians, went after China. And I will not stand by when our competitors don't play by the rules. We've brought trade cases against China at nearly twice the rate as the last administration, and it's made a difference. Over a thousand Americans are working today because we stopped a surge in Chinese tires. But we need to do more. It's not right when another country lets our movies, music, and software be pirated. It's not fair when foreign manufacturers have a leg up on ours only because they're heavily subsidized. Tonight I'm announcing the creation of a trade enforcement unit that will be charged with investigating unfair trading practices in countries like China. There will be more inspections. There will be more inspections to prevent counterfeit or unsafe goods from crossing our borders. Our workers are the most productive on earth, and if the playing field is level, I promise you, America will always win. The speech followed a whirlwind eight weeks during which President Obama travelled throughout Asia and the Pacific. After attacking China's economic record at APEC in Hawaii in November, from the undervaluation of its currency to subsidies to its renewable energy sector, the President went to Australia, where he announced 2,500 Marines will be stationed in Darwin by 2017. 
And early in the new year, the American Commander-in-Chief formally announced a shift in America's military attention towards Asia. A former defence adviser, Hugh White, now at the Australian National University in Canberra, says the Gillard government's decision in November to allow US troops to set up camp on Australia's northern tip is gambling with the country's number one trade relationship. The risk for Australia is that if we continue to support the United States, as unambiguously have in its present policy of trying to impose primacy on China, we will find ourselves in a position where China starts to push back at us and starts to say to Australia, look, you want to be a key supplier of raw materials to us, but how can we trust you in that role if you are going to actively support the military position of a country which is trying to exercise containment against us? Hugh White says China's global search for resources means Australia's day of reckoning could come sooner than many think. The Chinese could easily put pressure on Australia right now today, not by cutting off our present exports of minerals to China, but simply by declaring that their future policy will be to minimise their dependence on countries like Australia who support military postures uh, that are aimed at China's interests. So, you know, the Chinese could say that kind of thing today without even naming Australia, and it would have a huge effect on Australian share prices. New Zealand and the United States have signed a new strategic partnership agreement which the government says turns a new page in the relationship between the two countries. In the last hour, the U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and the Foreign Minister Murray McCulley signed the Wellington Declaration at Parliament. New Zealand has moved closer to the US in recent years, with Hillary Clinton's visit in 2010 formalising a thawing of relations since the spat over nuclear ship visits in the 1980s. The head of the New Zealand Contemporary China Research Centre at Victoria University, Robert Ason, says the detente doesn't extend to allowing US forces here. But what would the reaction of the New Zealand government be to a request for exercises with Darwin-based US troops? It does beg the question of beyond the Wellington Declaration between New Zealand and the US a year and a half ago, where does the US-New Zealand relationship go? What are Washington's expectations for this relationship? What are our expectations? And how much closer do we want to get? A former security adviser to the first President Bush and President Reagan, Douglas Powell, now at a Washington DC think tank, says the US's expectations of New Zealand from a military standpoint are low. New Zealand needs to move in its own time according to its own political agenda. And uh, the United States is not in a rush to get into some new higher state of readiness vis-a-vis China with its allies in the region. Although expectations of New Zealand's cooperation with the US appear to be higher in the area of trade. We have New Zealand's own desire, plus Australia, Singapore and other trade partners, to make the Trans-Pacific Partnership free trade arrangement a reality. It's the best thing out in the Pacific right now. It will allow, if it's properly implemented, a uh, higher interdependency among the parties in trade and will give a high standard to the Chinese to urge them to break away from their mercantilist policies of heavy subsidization and market access denial and make them better trade partners. It's uh, my great uh, pleasure to be able to welcome you all here this morning to launch um, the New Zealand and China strategy. This launch marks an important new stage in New Zealand's relationship with China. Many of you are here have been involved... Launching its China strategy over a week ago on Auckland's waterfront, the Prime Minister John Key reiterated the government's aim of doubling annual trade with the communist state to $20 billion by 2015. 
Yet New Zealand's number one trade policy goal is securing a regional deal led by the United States. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I want to welcome once again uh, all the leaders gathered around this table and their, their trade ministers to Hawaii. Uh, here in Hawaii, the United States uh, wants to send a clear message. Uh, we are a Pacific nation and we are deeply committed to shaping the future security and prosperity uh, of the Trans-Pacific region, uh, the fastest growing region in the world. I'm very pleased to be here with my partners with whom we're pursuing a very ambitious new trade agreement, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, I want to thank my fellow leaders from Australia, New Zealand, Malaysia, Brunei, Singapore, But the Trans-Pacific Partnership is viewed by Beijing with indifference at best and increasingly with suspicion. This bubbled to the surface in an exchange between the US and Chinese trade ministers at APEC in Hawaii in November. TPP and some other integration mechanisms in this region are also complementary and they are all the efforts to promote integration in this region. Till now we have not yet received any invitation from any TPP economy. If one day we receive such an invitation, we will seriously study the invitation. Thank you very much. I would also like to express to our colleagues from China, uh, we believe part of the strength of TPP is that it is an open architecture. Uh, this was not intended. Uh, it is not designed to be a closed clubhouse. All are welcome, uh, but it is not one that also you should wait for an invitation. I would assume that any uh, of the economies in APEC uh, that are interested in joining what we believe is going to be the 21st century highest standard trade liberalizing agreement is welcome to make the same decision that the United States and Peru and Chile and New Zealand and Australia and others have done and we would welcome consultations with any of those. Former Defence Advisor Hugh White says the Americans are willing to use economic as well as military power to challenge China's rise. He believes the Trans-Pacific Partnership is a prominent part of that strategy. There's no doubt in my mind that it is aimed by the United States as being part of its approach to contesting China's growing influence in Asia and trying to reassert American influence. So to the extent that New Zealand supports it, and for that matter the extent that Australia supports it, to the extent that it becomes a really central feature in our thinking about our economic future, I think it will contribute to a sense that we're lining up with the United States against China, and we shouldn't be at all surprised if the Chinese bite back. New Zealand's Trade Minister Tim Grosser says the country is not in the Trans-Pacific Partnership to help the US shackle China. Although he says a meeting he attended at a Washington DC think tank last year demonstrated to him that some in America think differently. Hearing all this anti-China, anti-China stuff coming from these intellectuals, policy wonks and lobbyists and what I said was, no, 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 you've got TPP completely wrong. The moment we New Zealand smelt or sensed that this was an anti-China thing, we'd leave TPP. And Dr. Emerson grabs the microphone out of my hand and says and Australia would be out the door just after New Zealand. Tim Grosser is convinced the White House has no interest in trying to use trade policy to contain China's rise. There are massive trade disputes going 
to go on in the next 10 years between China and the United States simply because of the increased integration of their two economies. You don't have trade disputes with countries you don't do trade with. So, But there are formal uh, uh, dispute settlement processes for dealing this. Naturally, it attracts political commentary. But at heart, there is no ambiguity around this. TPP is not an anti-China strategy whatsoever. And if it changed in its nature, we would actually not be part of it. Nonetheless, there's pressure on the U.S. administration to shape the trade deal in a way that suits American business interests. Behind the scenes, the powerful U.S. Chamber of Commerce has China in its sights. It sees a day when China could come into the partnership as part of a free trade bloc encompassing all 21 APEC economies. And it's pushing America's trade negotiators to take a hard line now on unfair trading practices by state-owned enterprises. Given that 90% of companies on the Chinese stock exchanges are owned or backed by the communist regime, its target is clear. But because the trade negotiations are in secret, it's not clear which side New Zealand is taking on that issue. A New Zealander, David Mann, has lived in China for the past 26 years. Until recently, he chaired a government-backed board assisting New Zealand firms breaking into the massive Chinese market. He says the agreement should be given closer scrutiny in Wellington if it becomes clear that China perceives it as a US plot. I think New Zealand is still relatively non-aligned. A series of choices have placed New Zealand in that situation. Of course, the most seminal of the lot is the nuclear free starts, which hasn't been rescinded. So in a sense, we've been out of the Western alliance militarily since then. Despite the fact that we now have troops in Afghanistan, the fact that New Zealand didn't go to Iraq was given considerable attention in Asia. Other choices such as recognising China as a free market economy and also actually signing the free trade agreement put it into a specific position. So in a position of effectively being a non-aligned nation, it doesn't have to choose. It may be asked to choose or pushed to choose, but I think New Zealand is sensible and sticks to the fundamental principles of recognising our relative insignificance politically and also recognising the importance that Asia plays for us economically. We should be able to navigate increasing of intensity of rhetoric in terms of America's position in Asia. David Mann believes the chances of a boil over between the two superpowers and consequently pressure being put on New Zealand to choose one over the other are low. He told me that was not least because of the growing economic interdependence between China and the US. You're assuming that it is in America's interests to do things that are going to be detrimental, profoundly, demonstrably de detrimental to China's economic interests. So why don't we look at America's dependence upon China as an emerging economy, as an economy of some stability during these very difficult recessionary years. The fact that 85% of China's considerable foreign exchange reserves are in US dollars. America's not in a very strong position to try to marginalise China from a trade perspective. So I think the question is actually hypothetical. And I would take more comfort from the fact that because America can't afford to actually turn this into a truly anti-China platform, it won't. New Zealand is in a privileged position amongst developed countries. It was the first and remains the only developed nation to sign a free trade deal with China. A former senior New Zealand Trade Ministry official, Charles Finney, headed the early stages of the government's negotiations with the Asian powerhouse. He believes China will eventually join the Trans-Pacific Partnership. The United States has a huge opportunity to expand its uh, exports into China 
and grow jobs, high-value jobs, and uh, the United States is very dependent upon capital flows continuing from China. So I would imagine that we will continue to see very rational policy from the United States towards China and, and vice versa. So I, I'm not unduly worried in that space, and I believe that all of the TPP members uh, are of the view, and we'll see when we get an agreement, the text, what it says. But I imagine it will be like P4, which has an open accession clause in it, and other APEC members will be encouraged to sign up if they can meet the standard that is, uh, is being set. And I am very confident that China will be able to meet that standard because New Zealand and China have negotiated a high-quality free trade agreement much higher than many of the other agreements that have been negotiated in the region. Victoria University's Robert Ason says the Trans-Pacific Partnership is not, in fact, a creation of the United States. He says the planned agreement builds on an earlier deal, dubbed the P4, including New Zealand, Singapore, Brunei and Chile. Robert Ason says that's an important point to make when considering the geopolitical dimensions of New Zealand's involvement, especially now that it appears to many, including in Beijing, that the United States is driving the agenda for the nine-country trading bloc. New Zealand has a fairly promiscuous attitude to free trade agreements, whether it's the TPP or, or ASEAN-centred ones. Of course, the, the ASEAN-New Zealand-Australia arrangement is an important um, milestone as well. So I think we're trying to use as many mechanisms are there to build towards a wider free trade area in the region. And that's, I think, how we will continue to argue. We'll also argue that the TPP is built upon the P4, us and the Singaporeans and the Chileans and the Bruneians, and that, that was our, it was our idea. It was not designed in any way to be there as a China containment device, and that all countries who wish to be part of the TPP have to meet its fairly high levels of entry standard, including the US and others. Another arena in which the US and China are sizing up each other is at the World Trade Organization. The organisation sets the rules for international trade and adjudicates disputes between countries. When Canada introduced subsidies for its dairy exporters in the 1990s, New Zealand was able to take a case to the WTO to have them overturned. And more lately it was a WTO decision which scrapped a long-standing ban on New Zealand apples into Australia. But China has problems with the Geneva-based body dictating the rules, and several decisions by the WTO have already challenged its domestic economic policies. Asked at a media briefing at APEC when China would play by the WTO's rules, a Chinese official responded by saying, by whose rules? The former US defence adviser Douglas Powell says New Zealand should be clear about its priorities. For countries that are uh, small or medium powers, you depend heavily on the orderliness of the behavior of the larger powers. If it becomes the law of the jungle, then you're going to have to arm yourselves to the teeth well beyond your ability to afford it in order to protect yourself from the winds of change blowing between the major powers. But former trade negotiator Charles Finney says China has more to lose than gain by challenging the existing world trading system. International trade is of enormous importance to the Chinese economy. It is a major, if not the major, trading nation uh, nowadays. Uh, having uh, effective international rules governing that trade 
is as much in China's interests as anyone else's. Many of the WTO members have been taken, have been challenged uh, through the dispute settlement mechanism, including the United States, actually including New Zealand, not in the WTO context but in the GATT context, and we once lost, uh, and the United States has lost. So it's not uncommon for an economy of the size of China to be challenged. Charles Finney says it's just as likely that New Zealand will line up with China on some issues in the WTO as it will with the United States on others. But more potential pitfalls loom in the relationship with the Asian giant. The presidents of the United States, Barack Obama, and a slew of other leaders at an Asian summit have confronted China over its expansive claims to the South China Sea. The annual East Asia Summit in Bali was attended by leaders from 18 countries, including New Zealand's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Murray McCulley. The South China Sea runs from the Straits of Singapore northwards to Taiwan and is a crucial supply route for China. It's also thought to be rich in oil and gas reserves. If there is anywhere where China could choose to flex its growing military muscle, then this hotly contested stretch of water could be it. New Zealand's a long way from the South China Sea, but it does have a direct interest through a defence treaty called the Five Power Defence Arrangements. Signatories include Malaysia, Singapore, Australia and the United Kingdom. In a 2010 defence white paper, the government upgraded the 40-year-old agreement's significance considerably. In that paper, it pointed to the pact as an entry point into one of a handful of scenarios in which New Zealand could be drawn into an armed conflict in the next 20 years. But, as with the shifting economic alliances in the region, Victoria University's Robert Ason says New Zealand is not obliged to line up against China if it turns aggressor in the South China Sea. The FPDA is to the security of, external security of Singapore and peninsular Malaysia. And it's not quite clear that, that if something was to happen f- further into the South China Sea, say closer to Vietnam or, or, or closer to the Philippines, that we would necessarily be obliged in a formal sense. So that's an out clause for New Zealand's it, uh, commitments. It, well, I mean, and also, the, to be honest, the FPDA also talks about the, an agreement to consult in the event something bad should happen. Um, but the, 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 the difficulty is, is that what the words say and what the expectations are can be different things. Robert Ason sees the potential for New Zealand to play the role of a go-between between the United States and China, but such a role would be more likely to come in the area of trade rather than geopolitics. One of the things that we know that China is interested in is, is, is being kept in, in touch on how the TPP is proceeding. So that's one of the, the conversations that I think New Zealand and China can have. China's not shut out of the TPP. China, the, the, the possibility is there. The American investment bank J.P. Morgan estimates China will overtake the United States as the world's biggest economy in the next five years. The defence adviser Hugh White believes a weakened America is in no position to dictate terms to China. The big choice, certainly from an Australian perspective, the big choice we face is do we keep on pressing the United States to remain the dominant power in Asia, which is what Australia's done uh, really forever, or do we start saying to the United States, look, we want you to play a big role in Asia, we want you to be a very significant player, but we don't think you can any longer dominate the way you used to. I think if you try, you'll only buy yourself into a long, bitter, dangerous strategic competition with China, so why not step back half a step, work with China, share power with China, try and build a new kind of leadership role which 
seeks to balance China and certainly constrains China's action but doesn't seek to dominate it. And that, I think, the choice is the choice that Australia is facing at the moment. Victoria University's Robert Ason says New Zealand has moved closer to the US in its defence relationship but remains independent for now. He says this country should use what influence it has to encourage a spirit of cooperation between China and the US. If you look at the defence white paper from last year, that is a white paper which indicates the importance of our traditional partnerships. It puts the obviously a great deal of emphasis on the Australian relationship, our number one relationship in, in all sorts of ways. But of course it also talks about the importance of, of our relationship with the US. It makes a very clear commitment to the idea that we welcome America's presence in Asia and that I think is, a, is, is one sign that, that, that we have moved a bit closer. But the paper also talks about the fact that China's, China contributes to and benefits from regional stability. So we're not using language about China there that suggests that we think China is this menace or that there is some sort of zero-sum game. But I think we, we are aware, like a number of regional countries, that the region's security and its prosperity depends in some degree on a, on a balance of power. And we, like others, would like the US to remain active to sustain some sort of balance. And while China's economic power is rising, it's still beset by a number of uncertainties. Water shortages, a build-up of debt in its local government, and unfavourable demographics as a result of its one-child policy could yet check its progress. Many experts believe it could be that neither China nor America will dominate the 21st century. In which case, second-tier but fast-growing powers such as India and Indonesia will have more say in the region and New Zealand better think about how it deals with them. I'm Nigel Sterling, and that's Insight for this week. If you would like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or tweet us at rnz underscore insight. The programme was written and presented by me, Nigel Sterling. It was produced by Philippa Tolley. Technical production was by Chris Adams.